0: Hey, if you have a copy of god's word once you find the book of first peter first peter chapter 2 if you're new to the bible uh first peter is going to be towards the end of the bible uh, you can hit all the way to the end that's revelation and then backtrack a few books and you'll stumble into first peter first peter chapter 2 you ever wanted to push somebody down the stairs anybody <laughs> good i'm glad i'm not alone Man, i remember the summer after my freshman year in college um, I moved back home, and I took this job interning uh, for a middle school ministry, and uh, which was great and awesome. And God really shaped me through that experience. and And I remember I moved back in with my dad, and my dad at the time uh, was was really he was he was uh, hitting an all time low, and uh, and so he was drinking a lot of vodka was his main drink of choice. And so he would drink about a bottle of vodka, which is about a liter of vodka. Um, about every two days and so he was really having a hard time overcoming his uh, addiction with alcoholism and I remember the day like it was yesterday, he woke me up early in the morning, about 5 a.m. He had just kind of begun to sober up, but he was still a little bit inebriated. And, uh, and he's like yelling my name, yelling my name. And I'm like, what do you want? I'm trying to get some sleep. He's like, let me borrow your truck. I'm like, no, I ain't letting you borrow my truck, man. What do you think? I'm crazy. You are drunk. You're still drunk. And I remember him getting so mad at me, and he began to speak down to me, he began to call me names, and he began to say things about how he's done all this. And I'm like, you ain't done nothing. And I remember walking with him and running him out of the downstairs area and walking up the stairs right behind him, and I was just like, oh, man, I want to just, you know, just fight my dad at that time. And, and, and it, it, that was just a, a long summer for me, and I was at this kind of place where I was a little bit in... Um, in this tense place because every day I was committing to go and, and rub shoulders with these uh, middle schoolers and tell them about how much God loved them and how much Jesus had a special plan for their life. And then I would go home at night and my dad would either be completely unconscious because he'd been drinking hard liquor all day or or he was belligerent and, and, and his like he began to break out in sores. He wasn't eating right. And, and it was just like it was this summer where I was living in two different worlds and I was like... God what are you doing I'm trying to live my life I'm trying to honor you I'm doing this internship working with these middle school students and now you've given me this other burden to carry I remember at that time I was just so angry at my dad man I got to the point where towards the end of the summer like he had repeatedly made threats over and over throughout the summer that he was going to take his own life And early on in the summer, I was like, Dad, don't do it. It's not worth it. We love you. We're here for you. And by the end of the summer, no joke, I'd gotten to a place of hardness and callousness where I was like, do it. Quit talking about it. And and that began this journey for me where or that was kind of mid process on this journey for me where I, I had to come to uh, grips with am I going to choose to handle my burden my brokenness my suffering the pain that that I didn't ask for that was brought into my life am I going to choose to to trust Christ with that or am I going to choose just to trust my own way and I know that there's a I know I'm not alone tonight that there's some people in here who are just like my 19 year old self and you brought in some serious heartache, and you brought in something that you didn't ask for, something that's happened in your life, either you come, I mean, probably half the room, if not more, comes from broken home where you didn't ask for mom and dad to split up, and you're kind of caught in the middle, and you're trying to, you know, piece it all together when you're 12, when you're 18, when you're nine, whatever it is, or maybe you brought in here, and maybe you got illegitimately fired, and and just because you um, stood for the right thing in your workplace, you're like, I'm not going out with you guys. I'm not going to do that, or I'm going to be the sober one. And so there became like this target on your back, like, who do you think you are? You're better than somebody. And so when it came time to cut back, they cut you back even though your performance was, was up to par, if not better than the other people. Or, or maybe you come here, and I, and, and I know most of us, this is going to hit you, that you come here and there's been someone in your life or there's been a group of people in your life who've stabbed you in the back. I don't know if it was in 5th grade, if it was in 8th grade, if it was in 12th grade, if it was in college, if it was one of your roommates when you were 22, if it was a relationship you had, or I don't know what it was, but a lot of us, we brought in here a heartache. And what happens a lot of the times is when we have this heartache, we begin to medicate our heartache with things. And so we begin to walk into these medications, and so that may be a, a, we, we lose ourselves in our career, that may be that we uh, begin to go party, or that maybe we get we dive in deep into a relationship. Relationship, whatever it is but if we trace the source back it would all go back maybe to a heartache and I want to suggest to you tonight that there's this incredible theme that is woven throughout as a tapestry throughout Scripture, and and Peter's going to come to this theme, and and he's going to draw our attention to a profound um, truth that if you would just lean in, trust in, and it lays at like the core or the crux of Christianity. It's one of the most common themes that we see woven throughout all of the story of Christianity. And if you would lean in, listen up, if you would write it down, begin to pray, oh God, soften my heart, let let me hear this truth that some of you are going to leave differently uh, tonight than the way you came in here, that God is going to begin to convict your heart. He's going to begin to equip you with truth that will lead to your liberty, that God will give you some things. He will allow you to see some truths that he's written through a guy named Peter that you will uh, tie your, if you would tie your life into a promise, a promise. You'll get freedom. And I'm not just speaking as somebody who hadn't tried it. And so if you'll lean in, listen up, I wanna invite you to allow God to speak to you and latch on to this amazing truth that that it's a radical, wonderful truth that stems from the core of Christ. That Jesus is gonna, He's gonna invite us unapologetically to live a life of forgiveness. See, forgiveness, it heals the hurt caused by people who hurt us. And Jesus is going to unapologetically invite us tonight to choose to suffer by forgiving those who have hurt us. Because we have committed our pain to God's judgment through the power that we see coming from the cross. And so if you're in 1 Peter, I want to invite you to to locate chapter 2, verses 21. And we've been just walking through 1 Peter just line by line and we've been allowing the word of God to speak to our hearts. And last week our pastor, Pastor Phil Hopper, he stepped in and and, uh, what a great uh, pinch hitter, if you will. Like he's really, the the A team was here last week and so thanks for having us back and not being like, we want Phil, right? so thanks for having us back. Uh, Your grace is much appreciated. But Phil came in and he um, he proclaimed unapologetically apologetically probably a not a real popular truth on our submitting to authority. And we're just going to allow the word of God to speak. If you were uncomfortable in that message, wait till your boy Josiah Jones gets ne- gets next week's message. I was like, hey, bro, can you take next week? Because it may not be very, very popular, but I promise it's going to be good. And so stay tuned for next week. But if you're in First Peter, I want to invite you to First Peter 21 through 25. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. If you want to circle a word, you could circle the word example, example. It says this in 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but committed himself, you could circle the word committed or the phrase committed himself, to him which is God who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes you are healed for you were like sheep going astray but now return to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul point number one tonight if you're taking notes forgiveness is a form of suffering Forgiveness is a form of suffering. Peter tells us how to follow Christ. He's simply just inviting the church. He's inviting you. If you're a believer tonight, he's going to equip you with some handles of how we navigate and how we represent Jesus Christ a little bit, okay? And so Peter's going to invite us to commit our lives to follow Jesus' example. Now, this word example in the Greek is the word hypogrammos. Hypogrammos. Turn to your neighbor and say hypo. The grandmas y'all so smart up here tonight speaking Greek hallelujah all right here we go Hypogrammos. now this word hypogrammos is a word that, that means or uh, it illustrates a tool used to teach people how to write the letters of the alphabet now I don't know if you remember these days but I'm currently in these days I've got a five-year-old a four-year-old who just turned four on Sunday happy birthday Elizabeth and a three-month-old and we have been given the um, the duty of teaching them how to uh, write and so my wife uses worksheets like this one right here y'all remember these? Yeah, I used to sit like, you know, you, you were in 7th grade working on these. I was just kidding, that's a problem if you were, okay. But we love you, it's okay, it's okay. It's a safe place to not be okay. Anyway, you remember, and so what you would do is you went from like scribbles, right? Y'all remember, scribbles, scribble, scribble, write your name. You know, and then, and then your mama or your teacher, whoever, your granny, whatever, they said, hey, now follow, take your scribbles, follow these lines, and your scribbles will become letters. And then you take the scribbles that became letters, and then you put the letters together, they become words. And when you take the scribbles, make letters that form together to make words, that becomes a story. And here's what Jesus is leading us to do tonight. He wants to take your life, and he wants to, you to lead or to follow his example so that you can take the scribbles of your life. Put them in the pattern um, of the one in whom who created you so that that pattern will become letters, so that your letters can become words, so that your words will be a story that reflects the glory of Jesus Christ, that God is trying to lead you to follow his example, his hypogrammos. only time this word's used in the entire scripture. He's trying to lead you to follow in a path so that your life will make sense. And so he says, look, you're going to suffer You're gonna suffer. This is not a popular promise in the scriptures. But the reality that Jesus has called us too, is that we will suffer and we will, we will allow Jesus to get the glory through our suffering. And one of the main ways that we, because we're not in a persecuted church like it is in China or in Africa or in, other, in Indonesia, other places of the world, but we are in a hostile culture. And there is a way for us as Americans, us as Midwesterners to choose to suffer for the name of Christ. And the particular way I want to draw your attention to tonight is that you would choose to suffer through forgiveness I had to to make a choice with my dad man I mean that season of life it was years that he had betrayed our family for the bottle and and he really never got over the bottle but I had to make a choice am I going to choose to forgive my father am I going to choose to suffer forgiveness or am I going to choose to do it my own way Because if I chose to do it my own way, I would still be in a chronic state of frustration. But God chose me to seek reconciliation. That God was working in my life and I was learning that central to the cross and central to the message of Jesus Christ is forgiveness. And in that season, God was intersecting my life with his word and with his people. And I was kind of in this place, a lot of you are here tonight, where, where you're trying to navigate Christianity for the first time seriously. And, you're, and you've got all of this baggage that you've brought to Jesus. And he's saying, hey, dr- drop your luggage in the foyer. I got it from here. And, you, and you're having a hard time letting go of certain things. But Jesus is saying, look, look, trust me. Follow my lead. I'll take your scribbles, make letters, make words, tell a story for my glory. And so I had to make this choice in this season. And and it was rooted in this understanding that the cross was the vehicle by which God chose to extend his mercy and his forgiveness to me. And that the brokenness that I experienced between my father was a, a, a picture of the brokenness that I, was, uh, that I was experiencing before my heavenly father. Where I was the perpetrator. Where God had the, the frustration with me, I felt like, that he wanted to push me down the steps. And what I had to come to grips with is understanding that Jesus loved me so much that he sought to reconcile and forgive me. And once that gripped my heart, and I pray that it would grip your heart. That you would begin to allow forgiveness to flow from you to those who have hurt you as well. And that you would find liberty and forgiveness. Amen? (laughs) Yeah. Now, forgiveness is not free. Now, you got to understand, when you forgive somebody, somebody's got to pay. You ever heard the economics phrase, there is no such thing as a free lunch? Well, there is no such thing as free forgiveness either, okay? Forgiveness is as if, you know, you, you loan somebody some money, like you, uh, man, you loan them maybe, what do I got here? Oh, I got a 20. He go, Drew, I'm going to loan you this 20, but seriously, give it back to me because I, I need that back, okay? But go ahead and sit down, just sit down. I'm going to loan it to you. This is for an example, okay? And so I'm going to loan Drew the 20, and I'm like, but Drew, you got to pay me back, right? And now, um, but Drew's like, but man, I'm, you know, I'm going out with my buddies and my, my community group, and we're going to go to, let's just say, some sort of really nice dining like Culverts or something like that, right? And uh, when you go there now, you can feed the entire community group on that $20 there, right? And so you were like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed them. And then I come back and I'm like, I'm like, Drew, you got my money? Drew better have my money, right? And, uh, and so I'm like, Drew, you got my money? And he's like, oh, man, what happened was, and I'm like, look, Drew, you know what? I love you. I forgive you. Now, who had to pay in order order for Drew to be forgiven? I had to pay, right? The forgiveness wasn't free. And a lot of us, we come to, uh, to God and we say, oh, God freely forgives us and he gives us his grace and it's free. And it is a gift to us. But somebody had to pay. And rooted in the message of the gospel is a forgiveness that was not free but that cost God everything. And when we begin to understand the price that God paid so that we could have forgiveness, it begins to change our life. That Jesus suffered so that we could be forgiven. And He's calling us to suffer by forgiving those who have hurt us. There was this terrible catastrophe that took place in Rwanda. In the 90s, there was a civil war that broke out and over a million Rwandans were killed in 100 days. About 10,000 Rwandans a day were murdered by gun or by machete. And, uh, and then a million Rwandan orphans were, uh, were birthed out of this as well because of all the people who died. About 20 years later, the New York Times did a, an article called Pictures of Reconciliation because what, what happened is that godly men and women came to power after the Civil War that happened in Rwanda in the 90s and, uh, and they began to uh, rebuild the nation. And part of the rebuilding of the nation was that the Rwandan church came together and they said, look, we need to seek reconciliation even though there's been a genocide. And so I just want to show you a picture of of, uh, two people and and just show you a picture of reconciliation here. This is two Rwandan people. The the gentleman that's on uh, your left, his name is uh, Godfrey, and he said this in the article, I burned her house and I attacked her in order to kill her and her children. He probably was attacking her with a machete. He says, but God protected them and they escaped. And when I was released from jail, if I saw her, I would run and hide. Listen, when we talk about forgiveness, some of us are on on the receiving end of hurt. And some of us here tonight, seriously, you've been on the giving end of hurt. And you know the tension that lies in there when you got on Facebook and you said some really devastating things about that person, and then y'all showed up on the same night at Paradigm, and you're like, "Oh man, I need to go to the restroom in the basement, you know?" <laughs> and you felt this tension, that sometimes when we get into the presence of those that we have offended, just like Freud, we want to run and hide because we're embarrassed. And so that's what he says. He says, when I saw her, I would run and hide. And then he said that when, when I started receiving these trainings on reconciliation, he said, I decided to ask her for forgiveness. And he did this so that he could have good relationships with the person to whom he did the evil deeds. He said, after I made this decision, I thanked God. And the young lady that's in the photo, her name is Ivesta, and she said, I used to hate him. And if you're a victim here tonight, you know exactly that language. I don't know any of us that have had our lives threatened or our house burned down by somebody, but our but maybe our hearts have been wounded by somebody that's conjured up this emotion of hate. She said, "I used to hate him, but when he came to my house and knelt down before me and asked for forgiveness, I was moved by his sincerity." Now, if I cry for help, he comes to rescue me. And when I face any issue, I call him. See, forgiveness, it heals the hurt that is caused by people who hurt us. But how do we do this? I mean, how can we go from hating someone to loving them? How can we trust Jesus' example to suffer willingly and offer forgiveness? And the reality is, is there are some of us in here and we are we are victims of hurt. There's some of us in here who are perpetrators of hurt, but the stark reality is that we're all both. And so that we need to understand what it means to go ask for an apology, to go ask to be forgiven, and we also need to understand what it means to receive forgiveness and be quick to offer that. That forgiveness, it heals the hurt caused by people who hurt us. And Jesus is saying that you need to follow my example and be willing to suffer through forgiveness. Now, the the way that we do that, man, it starts with committing our pain to God's judgment. Man, it starts with committing our pain to God's judgment. That's point number two. We see in verse 22 that Jesus, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. This word commit, it means to completely give. Uh, over to one another's power. We had a baby three months ago. When I say we had a baby, mainly my wife did all the work. I was just sipping coffee going, yeah, you got it, girl. You got it. Yes, yes, you got it, right? And so we had this baby three months ago, and and a couple of days after my wife uh, delivered, they just kind of committed the child into our hands. You know, like, here's the baby. And we're like, okay, it's good. Now, this is baby number three, so we're like, yeah, we got this. But baby number one, we're like... Is there a manual? Do we need to sign something? I mean, I'm not real sure. Can we stay longer? Is that cost more? I don't know. Anyway, but they committed this vulnerable person into our hands. And, and when they committed this vulnerable person into our hands, we had complete, and we still do, authority over the child. And, and what, what Peter's trying to say here is that Jesus, he committed himself completely over to God who judges righteously. That, that, to, uh, that, that when we had our baby, we, we, we received this vulnerable child that was completely committed to us as our parents. And our pain is something that, that is vulnerable and we have to com- completely commit it over to Christ and over to God. And our pain, that's so hard because our pain is so, it's so fragile. And when we've been hurt, man, we have our, we have our, dis- our defense mechanisms at an all-time high. But it's so crazy when you look at the story of Jesus, man, he's committing his pain over to God. Even though he was reviled, he didn't revile back. And you know how it is. When we get reviled, we have a little, like, I know some of y'all have, like, some comeback lines, you know, when somebody makes fun of your teeth or makes fun of your ears or makes fun of your eyebrow. Um, you know, they should shave that. Two's better than one on that. Okay, guys? That's for free. Um, but when someone makes fun of, you know, you got some hip pocket comebacks, you know, like, like your mama jokes or something like that, you know. Or, or our pain, man, it's so vulnerable because we're so fragile. So when, when somebody um, hurls uh, insults or they, they cause suffering in our life, Jesus, it says that he didn't even threaten anybody back. But we offer threats. We're like, oh, yeah, you want to do this, you know? And we start getting in our stance, right? That, that Jesus, he, he, he embodies this suffering and this complete entrustment over to God for his, for his, with his pain. Trusting that God is a good judge. But us, when we get hurt, man, we get angry. And so we fight back with gossip. We fight back with backstabbing because we're, we're so fragile and our pain is so delicate. But God is inviting you saying, hey, hey, you can trust your pain with me. I'll take care of it. I want to invite my buddy Josiah to come up here. And as he's coming up here, I want to tell you that Jesus has a better way. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he says to love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that Jesus committed himself and his pain to God's judgment. And I asked Josiah to come up here. We were talking about this message, and uh, we, we shared a life story, or he shared a life story with me, and, and I was like, man, that's, that's powerful. I would, I would love for you to... To share a little bit about what's what's you know what's happened in your past and how you've kind of walked this scripture out. Uh, didn't you didn't walk it out in a moment? Um, it took a, a process, is one of the words that you said earlier. And uh, so, I want you to share, kind of set it up, tell tell us what happened, and then I'll ask you a few questions.
1: Yeah, man. About 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, um, I endured one of the most painful uh, experiences of my life, and uh, many of you will resonate with this, but. Uh, my parents actually got a divorce. And I remember, like it's yesterday, my dad come in in the room and he said, hey, uh, Josiah, uh, your mom and I are going to uh, split up. We're going to separate. I said, man, well, how could this happen? I mean, we in church on Sunday and Wednesday, every time the, the doors open, we're, we're there. I mean, our family is rooted in, in God. And, and uh, man, all of a sudden, uh, a few weeks later, the divorce was final. And it crushed me. And uh, as a young kid making the transition from fifth to sixth, I began to uh, start to question, uh, did I do something? And, and and what you have to know, let me just call a timeout, what you have to know is there were some accusations made against me. And for the sake of time and uh, just not having the ability to communicate that at this time, there was some false accusations made against me. And so, man, I began to be so bitter towards my mom. And then uh, a couple years later, my dad got into an illegitimate relationship. He backslid from the faith, left the faith, uh, had a very immoral relationship with now my stepmom. And I remember, uh, man, just going back and forth from uh, my dad to my mom. I stayed with my dad, lived with him. And I remember hanging out with my mom one afternoon, and there was just these crazy thoughts and accusations continually to be hurled at me.
0: Mm.
1: And I remember going home and going up the stairs just angry, mad, furious. And I took my hand and made a fist, and I unleashed against the sheep rock wall and put my (laughs) hand through the wall because I was so angry. Uh And I remember my dad coming in that night. He said, hey, son, he called me son. He said, you can either choose to release this anger or you can choose to mask it. And in that moment, I chose not to release it because I, quite frankly, I didn't know how. I wasn't following Jesus at the time. I had no one to really model that for me. My parents uh, decided to let the faith be a a backseat in their life. And I began to mask it with the bottle. Many of you guys know my testimony. I began to mask it with illegitimate relationships. Uh, Women were my uh, ultimate. Sex was ultimate. Baseball began to be an idol for me. And Chad, that became uh, to be a slippery slope. It just began to be a series of of bad decisions after bad decisions.
0: Yeah. So, and just to kind of uh, put a couple things that really strike me is that not only were were you going through divorce, you know, and that's painful in itself. You know, you you oftentimes as a kid, you're like, did I do something wrong here? And, and but you were kind of being a victim in that mm. sense. But then, on top of that, there were these these false accusations against you personally, yeah. and uh, you know that were very very these weren't just like you know he looked he looked at me funny these were serious illegal uh, false accusations that were being brought against you and so um, and then you know one of the questions that you already answered you know that that the the response which I think is a super common response is that you got so angry mm. and uh, and that you know we said earlier even tonight that. Uh, oftentimes we we begin to try to address like our alcohol problem, our sexual promiscuity, our party problem, whatever, and those are really JV sins. When the varsity sin is this sin of of heart uh, ache because of these these uh, false accusations and this brokenness that that you've experienced. So out of that process, I know that God was beginning to to work in your life. And um, but but how did you come to the point where you trusted God with your pain? Yeah. And uh, and then also how did you believe that God is a good judge.
1: Yeah, and I love the word that you use there, trusting God, because my version says that, uh, that Jesus entrusted, that word committed in, in the New American Standard Version actually says he entrusted himself to him who judges justly or righteously. And so let me, let me just say something real quick before I even answer that. Uh, I, I, I continue to mask that pain and, and, and those things that I started to um, dabble in and end up becoming a slave to were just a symptom to a greater yep. reality. I never hit the source of my problem. Yep. I always just focused on the, on the symptom. And so when you focus on the symptoms, yeah, you might be able to change your behavior for a few weeks or a few months, but you'll never uh, have ultimate freedom because you got to get to the source. And my source all these years uh, was unforgiveness in my heart towards my parents. And uh, many of you know my testimony. God arrested my heart my junior year in college playing baseball and continuing to live that crazy life. And he began to show me uh, that this life wasn't really going to end well for me if I continue to live that road, live on that road. And so, uh, man, it's not like you come to Christ and then everything's fine, right? And And you're able to be free from all the pain and all the unforgiveness, all the addictions that you um, had before you came to Christ, so uh, let me say this, man. Your um, your faith, man, is a process. Like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yep. So if you're struggling right now, but you really love Christ, um, God calls that sanctification, and the sanctification process is a lifelong process. Hmm. And that was really healthy for me in that moment because, um, man, when I came to Christ, I, I forgave my mom. I forgave my dad. But just like anything, forgiveness is not just a one-time deal. Yep. And so, man, I entered into counseling for this unforgiveness because, man, I would be in conversation with people and, you know, or, you know, be in relation with people. And I would literally go off in an unhealthy way towards them. And I'm like, where did that come from? And where it came from was the fact that, man, I, I had still had this unforgiveness in my heart. And I chose not to forgive for many, many weeks or months. And so, man, I went into counseling. And, and that's just a glorified uh, discipleship, a mentor. Some of you maybe need a mentor tonight. You can check the Next Steps card saying, hey, I want a mentor. There's no shame in that. Yeah. And so, man, I got a mentor. And he began to walk me through this reality of forgiveness. And he took me to this passage that we're in tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2:21 through 25 and what stood out to me was this verse 23 that he who is he Jesus when he was on the cross getting hurled insulted reviled against he did not revile in return he did not try to uh, get revenge but instead, what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In that moment, the light bulb went on, and I, and I believed for the very first time that God in heaven is going to make every wrong right, and I don't have to make the wrongs right in my life. Then let it go. I can let it go. That's right. And so how does the world handle unforgiveness? They either got to get revenge or they got to mask it with illegitimate things like the bottle. Like an illegitimate relationship. And they have to suppress that unforgiveness in their heart with those things. And man, when I understood that I serve a God who is going to make every wrong right, man, I could let it go. And then it was a beautiful truth that permeated my heart. And because it permeated my heart, it ended up changing my behavior. See, I think a lot of times people want to change their behavior. You mm-hmm. can't change your
0: behavior like an man, outside in. from the
1: outside in. Yep. And it's only when you start believing uh, these truths of Scripture, like the ones that we're in tonight, that you start changing your paradigm, if I can use that, your belief system. And when your belief system changes, guess what follows? Your behavior.
0: And the the blessing just, you know, I mean, you recently got to help your mom move from uh, Milwaukee, right, down to Texas, and God has brought reconciliation, but that reconciliation wasn't on, the, on the, the front end of your no. obedience. It was actually on the back it was end on of the your back obedience. End.
1: And, and the beautiful thing about this whole thing, if I can say this as I wrap up, my dad has come back to the Lord, and he has uh, repented, and he is serving Jesus. Yeah. And, and, and that happened, on, and I can tell you this later, praise God. <laughs> that happened because I went back one weekend after I got saved, and I got on the canoe with my dad on a canal that he lives on, and we paddled that thing out to the lake. And I asked him, I said, J- I said Dad, where are you at in your faith? I knew he couldn't run, man. Where's he going to run, jump in the, <laughs> jump in the lake? <laughs> That's a great tactic. You should take that one. That's free. And, man, we had a heart-to-heart father and son conversation, and it was in that conversation that God changed his awesome. life. Yep. And then slowly but surely, as I forgave my mom and loved her unconditionally, she and I have reconciled, and she has come back and asked for forgiveness. That's, that's and, man, awesome, it's continually man. happening day by day. That's but awesome. let me tell you something, man. Unforgiveness is not a one-time, or excuse me, forgiveness is not a one-time deal. Nope. Dealing with your unforgiveness is a day-by-day waking up daily choosing to forgive that person yep. that has wronged you but never forgetting the gospel. And that's another thing, man. My my mentor, he said, Josiah, have you forgot how much you've been forgiven? (laughs) I'm like, whoa, I think I have. He said, you can never give away something you haven't received. And so if you've received forgiveness, if you've committed your life to Jesus, then you in return can give away the same forgiveness that he's given you into every other relationship. But I believe it's in those moments that we forget that we've been forgiven or we've been walking with Christ for a long time and we forget our own depravity. We stop seeing the sin that's in our life because we've kind of arrived, we think so. But there's sin in our life today. There's sin in my life today that before I lay my head down on the pillow, I need to repent of. Mm. And I need to go to certain people and ask for forgiveness. And it's in those moments that I have enough. Margin, or I have enough uh, grace to extend to other people when I continue to receive the grace that I need daily That's good. from my Father in heaven. Appreciate you sharing, yeah, brother. man. Thank you.
0: Love you. Yeah. So only in Christianity, only in Christianity do we have a divine being making sense out of our devastation as human beings, and you can trust Him and His plan. And to the degree that we trust Jesus with our pain will be to the degree that we experience liberty from our pain or through our pain. That God is trying to help us understand that we've got to let it go. But guys, I mean, let's just be honest. Isn't this challenging? Because isn't anger such a real thing? Like anger is so intoxicating. Like I get angry when someone cuts me off on the road. Seriously. Like this brother, he cut me off the other day and then he said a little bit too long, like two seconds too long at a red light that turned green. And instead of hitting that like, uh-uh, you know, like, you know, friendly, I was like, <laughs> like, yeah, you won't cut me off, bro. Yeah, that's right. And I just got angry. It just like come like hope and, got, and just reared up. And anger is so real and, and, and let alone when we've been really hurt. And we love to latch on to our anger and I wonder like why Jesus wasn't ever angry on the cross. Like he had every right to get angry. He had every authority to call the legion of, of angels down upon his torturers. But for one reason or another, he just he didn't. And like why is he being killed? Like what did he do? He's being betrayed, he's being beaten, he's being killed for healing people? For serving the poor? He did nothing wrong. And he wasn't angry on the cross because he was surrendered. And Jesus, Jesus, he was surrendered and God took the weapons of our anger and he made a beautiful piece of art. There was this uh, wonderful piece of art that was made in the early 2000s. And it was a monument to uh, memorialize the civil war that took place in another African country called, uh, called Mozambique. And in Mozambique, um, there was civil war from the late 70s to the early 90s. And so this Christian organization hired these four artists and they collected these guns from the people of Mozambique and they made this tree out of the guns and they took the weapons of man's anger and they made the tree of life. And this is a monument. This is a piece of art that was once a weapon of man's anger. Now it became a beautiful piece of art. And that's what God wants to do in your life and in mine. Now, this is, this is how we do this. We, we surrender our pain over to God and we commit it to him. But, but where does the power come from that we can do this? How do we get tapped into the source so that we can, we can actually do this, actually flesh this thing out? Well, the power to be able to suffer through forgiveness, the power to be able to commit our pain over to God who judges righteously, the power to forgive is found from the cross. Going back to the text in verse 24, Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now return to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. That Jesus died to forgive you and gives you strength to forgive And when we understand that Jesus is on the cross on our behalf, we get the strength of his forgiveness. When you were being crucified, uh, church or, or history would tell us that men being crucified, they would kind of get the people who were killing them back in a couple of ways. They would um, either hurl insults at them, They, you know, people would stand around them and mock them like, you're a fool, I can't believe you're dying. And so they would begin to, you know, cuss them out, like you're going to die. They would say things or they would urinate on them. They were being crucified naked and so they would, that's how they would get people back. And and when Jesus died, we see something very, very interesting about his behavior on the cross that he didn't choose. To, uh, to hurl insults or to do other things to try to get the people back and simply we have these seven statements from Jesus on the cross recorded in the Gospels and one of them we find Jesus actually praying a prayer like this he says, Father, forgive the people that are killing me because they don't know what they're doing and we look to the cross and we find this amazing truth that when Jesus suffers the way that he suffers, and he tr- chooses to trust his pain over to God. He gets extreme glory. We don't know all the details of the executioner's life or what happened in his life, but something went off in the, in the mind and in the life of the executioners. We know that the men that were executing Jesus, they were men who were very familiar with death. They had probably killed hundreds of people in battle, and by this time they had gotten you know, to kind of to a, a more relaxed environment where they just got to kill people on a cross. And, and death was such a part of their life, and, and they had seen hundreds and hundreds of men die. But the day that Jesus died, it's recorded in Matthew 27, 54. It says, so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus, the ones that had killed him, the ones that had seen him breathe his last, the ones that had heard the seven statements that he made on the cross, when they had saw all this and Jesus died, it says, they saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. And it says, they feared greatly. These are tough men. These are Navy SEALs. These are are mercenaries. It says that they, were, they feared greatly and they said this, truly, I've seen a lot of death, I've killed a lot of men, but truly, this was the Son of God. That when Jesus chose to trust God's plan, the world knew that he was the Son of God. And he's inviting you to follow in his footsteps. So if you want to experience Christ and his forgiveness, man, it starts with you first being honest. You've got to come to Jesus and say, look, I, I confess I'm not a, as, as cool. Or I'm not as good as I thought I was. That the gospel shares the worst news that you are hopelessly dead spiritually. But it chases it with the best news that you are desperately loved more than you could have ever have imagined. And so uh, forgiveness, the liberation of forgiveness, it starts with honesty. And it's only when we uncover and admit our sin that God is willing to cover our sin. And it says that when we when we receive this forgiveness, it, it's that God is He's removing our objective guilt, so that so that it can't bring us into punishment. That when we receive forgiveness, God is removing the inevitable. He's removing the undeniable that you are guilty. And when we come to Christ and we receive his forgiveness, he's removing this undeniable guilt so that it cannot bring you into punishment any longer. And he is also not only removing the undeniable guilt that brings you into punishment, but he's also removing the subjective shame so that we don't remain in inner anguish, that when we do something bad or we commit a sin or we we violate the heart of God, shame, is, is it just flows in us and we feel this shame and we feel naked, so to speak, spiritually, but when we receive seek God's forgiveness. We don't have to live in inner anguish of this shame that comes and goes. We can have peace. And we can be forgiven. And then when we receive forgiven, we become the happiest people in the world. And the happiest people in the world are those who not only know they need to be deeply forgiven, but also have experienced it. And not only have they experienced it, but they've extended it to others. That forgiveness allows us to receive the power to forgive others. That when we choose to suffer through forgiving people who have hurt us, we show the world the insanity of God's love. And so I just got an honest question. You just need to be honest with you. You don't have to say this out loud. You don't have to be honest with me. Just be honest with you. Have you been hurt by someone? And are you angry? Or have you hurt someone? And what are you going to do with this hurt? Seriously. What pop psychology are you going to trust to navigate the waters of your brokenness? Don't you know that God made you? And he's given you the prescription so that you can find freedom. That when we choose to suffer by forgiving, it allows us to experience liberty. And the way we do this is that we commit our pain to God's judgment. Through the power found in the cross that Jesus is our example and his life is taking your life's scribbles and making them into letters that form words so that when your life is just a story, it will be a story that's chocked full of the glory of God. And We have to be willing to choose to forgive. If you're a believer, man, forgiveness isn't an option. That Jesus is going to say some very sobering things about our forgiveness as believers in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He says, if you're offering your gift at an altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. A lot of us, we've been chasing Jesus for some time and we have some unforgiveness towards dad, mom, brother, sister, boy, girl, whatever it is. And Jesus is like in heaven, and you're coming, you're lifting up holy hands, singing song to his name, you're podcasting, you're reading Beth Moore devotionals, you're getting all the sermon jams from Stephen Furtick, and you're like, God, I'm trying to trust you, I'm trying to chase after you. And God's in heaven going, la 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 la. I can't hear you. First, go be reconciled, and then come sing your song to me. I will have nothing of my children living in disunity that's what pleases the heart of God. Jesus says later in Matthew 5:14, 6:14, 14, 14, he says, "If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you." And Mark 11:26 he says, "But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions." That we show the world the depth of our understanding of God's forgiveness when we choose to suffer by forgiving others. when people see us forgiving our dad, forgiving our mom, they say, that don't make sense. That person wronged you. You say, man, I've been forgiven more than I deserve. And so I'm gonna give forgiveness more than I can bear. I forgave my dad too. It wasn't in a moment, it was in a moment and it was over a lifetime. And I forgave him, and as I stood over his dead body and preached his funeral, I stood reconciled to my father, and I stood reconciled to my father because I chose to suffer by forgiving him. I didn't say, Dad, you owe me. You missed years of my life because you were in jail and in prison." You've dishonored my wife. You've dishonored our family. I didn't didn't go there. I said, Dad, I love you. I'm going to forgive you. And I stood reconciled over his ashes because I committed my pain to God's judgment through the power that I found in the cross of Christ. Who do you need to forgive? Or who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Or, 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 or are you here maybe you just need to experience the forgiveness of God so that you have the power to walk out the forgiveness to your neighbor. What if the world began to see paradigm, the young adults that came here and gathered tonight, begin to li- begin to, to be let loose into the city and into your families, into your workplaces, where we had tons of young adults who went and got in canoes or went and visited a jail cell or went and began to seek reconciliation between those who have offended us and begin to walk in the liberty of casting down and letting go the bitterness that, that has got in our life. And what if the world began to see The body of Christ, just simply do what Jesus did. And we said, hey, come here. Come and see what God's doing to set us free so that we can walk out a life that's rooted in the fact that we've been forgiven and we give it away as surely as we've received it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you that you are alive that you give us the power to forgive. And God, I pray for the man or the woman that's here tonight and that is just deeply wounded. God, that you would not allow them to remain in their wounds. But God, they would carry their pain to you because you can be trusted. You take pain and make purposes. You take the messes of our life and give us a message. God, when we follow in your example, you take the scribbles of our life and you make sense out of them so God, I pray if there's a man or a woman here tonight that doesn't know you, doesn't know the eternal love and the the magnitude of your forgiveness, God, that they would find you tonight, that they would come grab one of these men or women that's on the sidewalk team by the hand and they say, would you tell me how I could find Jesus? God, maybe there's somebody here tonight that needs to go across the room and go find one of their brothers or their sisters that's here tonight and say, look, I shouldn't have said that stuff on Instagram. I shouldn't have said that stuff on Facebook. Would you forgive me? Or maybe tonight, God, you would empower and give courage to a young adult when they leave tonight that they would go ahead and write out their apology or they would go ahead and seek to be reconciled with somebody. And we would walk out simply the example that you've given us. God, I pray that we would listen and obey what you've told us to do tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.